Hey there, it's Ashley Stahl here, counterterrorism professional turned career and business coach, and I am here for those moments when you look in the mirror and you realize it's time to make some sort of radical change or U-turn in your life so that you can stop operating on cruise control and start living your life on purpose. So join me here on the U-Turn podcast every single week where you're going to be hearing from inspiring, insightful guests, be it CEOs, spiritual leaders, love experts, or of course, yours truly, so that you can become your very best self without having to take life so seriously. And don't forget, if you head on over to U-TurnPodcast.com, that's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N Podcast.com, you're going to get access to show notes, which have books and resources mentioned by our guests, as well as access to one of my four free e-courses over at U-TurnPodcast.com. Whether you want to land a new job you love, get clarity on the best career path for you, launch that dream business, or deepen your romantic relationships. Okay, enough about me. Let's get this party started with this week's guest. This episode is brought to you by Cake Publishing, ghostwriting, publicity, and copywriting house. There to help influencers and entrepreneurs get their voice out there in a much bigger way. If you're ready to make a bigger impact, head on over to cakepublishing.com. That's C-A-K-E publishing.com. Friends, this is going to be an amazing episode. I'm bringing Alex Benayan onto the show. He's one of my favorite people in my own personal life, but also professionally. He is the best-selling author of The Third Door, a recent book he's released on a crazy and wild adventure where he's gone out into the world to interview people like Warren Buffett, Larry King, Lady Gaga, and he's traveled from icon to icon with the intention of decoding their success. And what he found is that very much kind of like nightclubs. There's the front door where everybody's waiting, the back door where the VIPs go, but he's found that with successful people, there's a third door, a secret door, an elusive door that most people tap into by being resourceful that they go through for their careers. And he's going to help you through this episode here, figure out where is the third door for you? Where are you not looking? Where can you be more resourceful to create more success? I just love this human being. I love this episode and I'm so excited to get started. Hi, thanks for being here. It's so fun to be here with you. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so tell me, you're not the everyday 19-year-old. What led you to the path that you're on? What motivated you to interview so many people? So it actually started when I was 18. Mm -hmm. And I was going through a life crisis. Mm -hmm. And to understand why I was going through it, you have to understand sort of like where I was coming from, which Mm is I was the son of... Persian Jewish immigrants, mm-hmm. which means when I came out of the womb, my mom, you know, cradled me in her arms and stamped MD on my ass and sent me on my way. Mm. So, you know, I wore scrubs to school for Halloween in third grade. I went to pre-med summer camp in high school, you know, very typical. Very strong messaging. Very, very typical, you know, <laughs> elementary school activities. Yeah. So my entire life, you know, I was checking the boxes. Mm-hmm. And when I got to college, I was, you know, the pre-med of pre-meds. But very quickly, within the first like few weeks, I remember I like, couldn't get myself out of bed. I was hitting snooze mm. five or six times a day, which you know isn't unnormal for an 18-year-old. Yeah. But when I would go to like my biology classes, I would see these other kids like going 100 miles an hour, yeah. and I couldn't even get myself to open the book. They felt like you know dementors sucking the life out of me. Mm-hmm. So 
Were you interested in it, or was there no interest whatsoever? I I was interested in it the way you're interested in something that your parents saw you're interested in. Yeah. But at the time, I thought it was my interest. Yeah. So that's why it was actually the most confusing. Yeah. Um, you know, it's sort of like if you have a job that you think you chose. Yeah. And you think you're interested in, but for some reason you're not acting like you're. That's the thing. You're not acting like you're interested in.、Mm-hmm. So then you start questioning like everything, which、mm-hmm. is, is this my path? Am I just on a path somebody placed me on, and I'm rolling down?、Mm-hmm. Like, what do I actually care about? What do I actually want to do with my life? And the questions, you know, really spiral into this abyss. And I don't know if you've gone through like the、yeah. what I want to do with my life crisis. Well, yeah, and I've worked with so many people that have, and I find that there's a big distinction between interest and passion. And I think a、mm. lot of people get lost following interests. We have many interests, and they change all the time. So I don't blame you.、Um, but、yeah. what I'm hearing also is that you kind of held on to a plan for the sake of having one, which a lot of people、right. do. And it was my parents came here as refugees, and it was、wow. their biggest dream to see me at like my medical school graduation.、Mm-hmm. It was my grandparents' hope. Mm-hmm. So, it wasn't like a small matter of just mi- switching a major. It was really、yeah. questioning like what my life has been up to this point, and、mm-hmm. you know the fear of disappointing my family was、mm-hmm. terrifying. So, like I find myself in this crisis. Like I'm 18, I'm staring up at the ceiling, lying on my dorm room bed every day, and the questions of what I, what do I want to do with my life like sort of evolve naturally into like okay, I know I'm interested in you know. Business and technology and entertainment.、Mm-hmm. Again, interest, not passions. I didn't know the passion, but I knew the interest. Yeah. So the question was like, okay,、mm-hmm. forget about what I want to do. Even if I knew it, how would I even get started? You know, how did Bill Gates, when he was an unknown sophomore in college, sell software out of his dorm room? Or how did Steven Spielberg, without any directing credits to his name, become the youngest director in Hollywood history? You know, these are things they don't really talk about in school. So I was like. No big deal. I'm just going to go to the library because there has to be a book about this, right? There's a million career books, a million business books, a million biographies, but I went through them, and you know, dozens and dozens of books. Later, I was left empty-handed,、mm. and I realized there was not a single book that focused exactly on the stage of life I was in. When no one takes your meetings. When no one wants to answer your calls, how do you find a way to break through and launch your career?、Mm. So, you know, that's when I had that very naive thought of, well, if no one's going to write the book I'm dreaming of reading, why not just write it myself? Amazing. You know, and I, <laughs> you think it's amazing, thank you, but I, in hindsight, think it's, it's pretty silly. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, let me just call Bill Gates. Like he helps kids all the time. Why wouldn't he help、yeah. me? And then once he says yes, I can interview everyone else, and by the end of summer vacation, I'll be done, and I'll know what I want to do with my life. Yeah. So that I thought was the easy part.、Mm. The hard part I figured was like getting money to go fund, you know, my travels. To, you know, fly to Seattle to interview Bill Gates, fly to Omaha to interview Warren Buffett. Like I didn't have that kind of money because I was buried in tuition payments and I was all out of bar mitzvah cash. Yeah. So, Bummer when you run out of bar mitzvah cash. <laughs> you know, life really, life really stalls. Yeah, got it, got it. Am I the first? <laughs> am, I, am I the first to do that? You, you're not the first person with that one, but I like what you did there. So, <laughs> do you know what's funny? I didn't know I did it until I did it. Yeah, happens to that. <laughs> so, it's so, so ridiculous. I know you have no idea how many stall jokes we could do right now, but I'm gonna let you. Look, let you have the mic. <laughs> I'm not gonna push it. 
I'm just going to let it stall. Yeah, yeah. Stall it up. <laughs> okay, so... Yeah, so I'm out of bar mitzvah cash. Yeah. I don't know what I'm going to do. So I need some money to fund this idea. And to me, I, I, I didn't really care so much about writing a book mm-hmm. or even conducting these interviews. What I really cared about was sort of going on like a mission of... Because when I spoke to my friends, I realized I wasn't the only one going through this crisis. All my friends were having this secret, you know, staring at the ceiling crisis of what am I doing? Because in high school, you know, you're... You have your teachers telling you what to do. You have your parents telling yeah, you what to do. A lot of noise. Right. And the second you're, you find yourself alone for five minutes in your dorm room. With your thoughts. Yeah. For the first time in your life, yeah. you're like, oh my, what am I doing? Yeah. You know? Feels like a whole committee in there. That's like the nicest way to put it. Yeah. You know? It's like a whole board team. <laughs> yeah. Well, so how did you break through those thoughts? How did you break through the fear and the conditioning of doing what was expected of you or what was wanted of you? I mean, I know how it feels to not want to disappoint your parents. You love them. You want to make them happy. So how did you work with that? So I didn't. Uh-huh. <laughs> Perfect answer. I, I took, Unsubscribe. I took the easy way out by not telling my mom what I was up to. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, God forbid I tell her that I'm even questioning being a doctor. Mm-hmm. So I just was like, all right, I'm going to have to find a sneaky way to, like, get some money to fund this, like, summer project of mine. Mm-hmm. And then, you know... I'll learn from Bill Gates, get the answers I need, and then I'll go, you know, do my thing. Mm-hmm. So two nights before my final exams, freshman year in college, I was in the library, you know, doing what everybody does two nights before final exams. Crunching. I'm on Facebook. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Even more real. I love so, the realness. <laughs> so I'm on Facebook and I see this, like, Facebook status that says, like, free ticket to the price is right. And I was filming the next day, and, you know, I, I went to school here in L.A., so it wasn't too far. Yeah. And it's very funny. My first thought, and I know this sounds preposterous, but I was just like, what if I go on the show and win some money to fund this dream? That's amazing. Again, you know, like, not my brightest moment, but there was a, you know, it was a dumb idea. I'd never seen a full episode of The Price is Right before. I'd seen clips of it when I was a little kid, Mm -hmm. but never seen a full episode, plus I had finals in two days. Mm. But this was sort of one of those moments where, you know, you have an idea and you tell yourself it's dumb, but then you can't stop thinking about it? Yeah. So I remember I was in the library and I opened my spiral notebook and made a best and worst case scenario list to to prove myself how bad of an idea it is. Mm -hmm. And I remember I was like, worst case scenarios, fail finals. Get kicked out of pre-med, lose financial aid. Mom will hate you me. Really went for it. Like <laughs> went fat for on it. TV. There, you know, yeah. twenty cons. The only pro was like, maybe, maybe, mm-hmm. win enough money to fund this dream. Yeah. And it felt like someone had like tied a rope around my gut and was like pulling me in a direction. So that night, I decided to do the logical thing, and I pulled an all-nighter to study. But I didn't study for finals. I studied how to hack the prices right. <laughs> so I ended up going on the show the next day and executing this ridiculous strategy. I ended up winning a sailboat, selling the sailboat, and that's how I funded the book the past you know, seven Incredible. years. Incredible. And when you look back on that, uh, and if you could talk to your older self and mm. give some wisdom, what would you say to him when he was thinking about this? Do you know what's so funny? 
You know, I know this is like the moment I'm supposed to say something like very profound. But you don't have to. I wouldn't say anything. Huh. To that, okay, now this is the thing. Once I start my journey, I made a million mistakes that if I can go back in time, I would like mm -hmm. shake myself. Mm -hmm. But when, I, there was something about that moment just when I was, you know, coming up with the idea of this mission, deciding to go on the prices right, there was something so, uh, beautiful and in a way perfect regarding my naivete. Mm. And I think sometimes what people, you know, when they're launching their careers become so obsessed with like figuring out everything they need to know about the career before they even take the first step. Yeah. I actually think that can sometimes be the biggest barrier to entry. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the more, you know, the more scary it is and the scarier it is, the less likely you are to even take a step. And the biggest difference between the people who actually achieve a goal and the people who never start is that fear of taking that first step. 100%. And the meaning that people make of the fear. I think often people make the meaning that fear means don't. But I think people mm -hmm. like you, people like me, we think, okay, fear just is there, but it doesn't have to mean not to do something. So how do you deal with fear when you have it? How do you be with it? So what I've learned is that the biggest difference between fear and courage is very simple, mm -hmm. but it's a life-changing difference. Fear and being fearless, you know, people talk about being fearless. You know, there's books about being fearless. I actually think being fearless is the stupidest thing you can do because being fearless means ignoring the potential consequences of what you're about to do. Being fearless and like jumping off a building is a horrible idea, mm -hmm. right? Courage, on the other hand, is looking at what you're doing, acknowledging your fear, agreeing with your fear, being thoughtful about what the potential consequences are, and then going within yourself to find the strength to still take that step forward. Yeah. Amazing. So I'm a huge proponent of courage, and I am running away from anybody who claims they're fearless, because mm. I don't want anything to do with those people because they that. scare the shit out of me. Yeah. And how do you listen to yourself? Because... Like you said, you grew up in a house where there was a lot of belief systems about what was right for you, and I think a lot of people did. And it can be hard in the midst of all of the noise to hear who you are and what you want. So mm. what do you think it took for you to really be with you and be able to hear those answers and drop that plan just for the sake of having it? It's hard. Yeah. I wish I had a very like simple you know, silver bullet answer. But the truth is, my experience was that it's not a singular moment of just, I'm done with the voices. Because you know, you hear all these motivational speakers who are like, ignore the haters, ignore the voices in your head. Yeah, but what you resist I, gets bigger. I, right. And I have no idea how to do that. Like all the power to the people who claim they can do it, yeah. that's not me. Yeah. You know, my family is so important to me. And, you know, the way I was raised was a really, you know, powerful, strong upbringing of like a, you know, an immigrant family. So to me, it was less about deciding one day to hell with what they think. I'm going to go like pursue my dream. Even if I tried to do that, it wouldn't have worked. Hmm. What worked for me was making small, tiny steps. And if you think about courage as a muscle. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't walk into the gym without ever lifting a weight and being like, how do I lift 500 pounds? Even though every motivational speaker says, just do it. 
No, you start with five pounds and it, it, and then you go home and your arms hurt. Yeah. And then you rest and then you go back and you do seven pounds and then your arms really hurt. Jelly arms. Right? And then you just keep building slowly and then surprisingly, three years later, you're lifting 500 pounds and everybody says, how do you do it? And you go, you just do it, right? But everybody forgets that it starts out with very little decisions that seem hard, but over time add up to something big. You, you speak a lot about instinct, listening to yourself. So what advice would you have for somebody who is kind of like where you were? They don't know what they, they've been following a path for the sake of following it, not because it's what they want to do. Maybe it's an interest, maybe it's even a passion, but they know that it's not for them. They know that much. What two or three action steps or piece of wisdom could you give them to help them move forward in really figuring out who they are and what to follow? I think it's really simple. Okay. And I think people like to overcomplicate it. And when you overcomplicate something, you never do it. So the first thing I would say is give yourself a 30-day challenge where you journal every single night for 30 days. Don't, you know, make it a New Year's resolution to do it for the whole year. Just a 30-day challenge. Everyone can do a 30-day challenge. So do a 30-day challenge, and this is what you're going to do. Every night you're going to journal about three things. The first thing you're going to journal about, and you can, you know, do one sentence. You can do a page, however much you want. It's what happened today and how do I feel about it? It's the first thing. The second thing is, what happened today that excited me? And then the third thing is, what happened today that sucked energy out of me? That's it. Literally just do that for 30 days in a row, and your life will see an incremental difference. You, you won't see a life-changing difference. You'll see an incremental difference that will set you on the right path for you to keep making incremental differences until you're where you want to go. And I think what happens is people get so stuck when it comes to what do I want to do? How am I going to do it? Who am I? That's like asking like, what is God? Mm-hmm. Big question. Just like open a book and like read a page, a, re- a religious text. You know, I, there's like a proverb that I'm messing up that says like, you know, you eat an elephant like one piece at a time. Mm-hmm. I don't know what, what, but it's essentially saying, don't focus on the giant thing. Just do a small thing that you can do every day. And to me, 30 day challenges are the easiest thing. And the 30 day journaling challenge is the best thing you can do. Beautiful. And when you speak about really finding yourself and flexing that muscle, like in your next level now with the third door coming out, uh, congratulations. Thank you. What would you say is a muscle you're still working First of all, I love muscle. hearing that because you know, for seven years, it's been like yeah. a silent project to, to hear that it's coming out from someone else's mouth. It yeah, feels really I'm going nice. to keep doing it. I'll send you messages. <laughs> Literally every Memes, morning. Memes, whatever. That's your 30-day challenge yeah. <laughs> to help my like, self-esteem. I'm here in service, my friend. Um, I don't know what your question was. <laughs> Well, I was just, I was curious, you know, yeah. with, with this coming out, what are you working with now? What muscle are you trying to build within yourself as you mm. get to your next level? Because I've always told my clients and coaching and all levels, new level, new devil, you know, you, mm. you, you might journal yourself silly and get that clarity, whatever it is and take a step. But every time you take that step, you get comfortable and then you're on to that new step and it can be mm. overwhelming. So 
how, what are you being with with yourself right now? I have chills like you asking that question um, because I've entered a new, a, a new phase and yeah, new level, new devil. I've never, yeah. I don't want to call it a devil. It's like, I don't want to demonize literally yeah. what I'm struggling with because that only cements it. So this journey of this book, it's been a seven year process. Yeah. If you think about the, I think of it sort of in like stages or seasons. Mm -hmm. The first two years was like me, 18 and 19 years old, running around, just having so much fun trying to do this myself, you know? You know, crouching in bathrooms to get interviews with Tim Ferriss, chasing Larry King through a grocery store, like all these like fun, you know, hacking the prices right, all these fun things where, you know, I was on my quest to learn from all these people and get to ultimately Bill Gates and learn from him. So that was the beginning part. It was hard, but it was very free. That was the beginning. And then after that, in order to get to Bill Gates, his office said I needed a publishing deal. I was like, what's a publishing deal? So that started a new phase where, you know, once you make a commitment to someone, whether it's a publisher or a literary agent, and you like leave school, all of a sudden it becomes not a passion it becomes a job mm -hmm. and it's still the thing that you love but all of a sudden you have people who are relying on you you have commitments that you've made mm -hmm. so that became the next hard part of securing the interviews with like an added pressure of i'm on the hook now you yeah, know it's not just fun anymore this is work right too it's a difference between you know you doing your podcast for yourself and you having a you know a production deal with you know, NPR and every Tuesday night they need a brand new episode with the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. Yeah. Totally. All of a sudden your podcast becomes a much heavier yeah. thing on your to-do list. Yeah. So that was that second phase and that was probably the hardest one, you know, being 20 years old, never having any pressure in my life really, thankfully, and sort of over-promising because mm -hmm. I needed to over-promise to get the deal. into your yes. And now it's like... Yeah, I didn't rise to my yes. I clawed my way very <laughs> desperately. It doesn't look like that, but I'm sure it was. Oh hell, my but... god, it was gruesome. Mm -hmm. um, but then once I started, once I got the interviews that I had promised to get, then I was able to move into my most recent phase, which was, thankfully, it wasn't easier, but it was less pressure. Okay. And it was the writing phase. Mm -hmm. So once I got all the interviews done, so that was about a you know three to four year process. I then changed the original idea of this book mm -hmm. was, you know how how did the world's most successful people launch their careers? The idea was I would interview all these people and just use their words in Q and A format, and each chapter is a different person. Mm -hmm. And what happened was my editor in New York called me into his office one day and he's a very like gruff New York guy and he was my original editor at the publishing house and he goes, Alex, what's the point of your book? And I'm like, I'm like uh, what do you mean? And he's like, do you want to change lives or are you just trying to inform people? And I'm like, well, obviously I, I want to change lives. And he's like, it's good to know. The book you're writing isn't going to do that. I'm like, first of all, we're a year into this publishing deal already. I'm like, we've been working together for a year. Like, why didn't you tell me this earlier? He's like, I have a son your age. You wouldn't have listened. <laughs> like, 
He's like, so pretty much he knew I had to spend a year doing it my way for him to help me see the light. And what he showed me and taught me is something I'm sure you know very well, which is, you know, magazine, how many times have you heard someone say that magazine Q and A changed the entire course of my life? Rare. Very rarely. Yeah. You know, it might happen, but it's very rare. How many times have you heard that, that story changed my life? That, that novel changed my life. That movie changed my life. Whether it's Harry Potter or Star Wars or, you know, religious texts like the Bible or the mm -hmm. Quran, like. All the time. The majority of Earth, human beings' lives are changed by those, you know, narrative Forces. stories, you know? Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter if it's fiction or nonfiction. And what my editor was teaching me is that, you know, there's always a person in the beginning that people can relate to, that something crazy happens to that person, and as she or he goes on this journey and learns lessons, and that character transforms, so does the reader. Beautiful. And I was like, great, like who should be our character? Should it be Bill Gates? Should it be Steven Spielberg? And he's like, no, it's you. <laughs> and it's like funny in hindsight, but it yeah. really took about three to four months for me to like, and literally three to four months of debating this and being extremely hesitant. But what I realized is that although this book on the surface might look like my journey, I'm a conduit for the reader. Mm -hmm. Anyone who's look who's facing rejection, who's wondering how to break through, who wants to know how to supercharge their journey, comes along the ride. Mm, amazing. So changing the entire you know style of the book to turn it into a page-turning narrative, that has taken three years to write. Incredible. So so again, thank you. So that's why it's been a seven-year journey. Got it. So now, to take us back to where I'm facing now, now that the book literally, as of today, is being the final proof proofreading, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm finished with what was the past three years of my life, which was writing narrative. Mm -hmm. And now I'm going into sort of similar to what stage two was, which was, you know, getting the interviews. I'm now in a place where I need to share this book. Mm -hmm. And my biggest challenge, this is the longest answer to your question, no, but, I wanted, but I wanted to show you really where- You are my conduit, I am with you. <laughs> I'm like, tell me more. What I'm struggling with right now is, and I oscillate, because I know what feels right, and then I know where my instincts take me. Yeah. Where my instincts take me is, what if this book launch doesn't work? Mm -hmm. What if it, what if it's not as big as I told everyone it's going to be? What mm -hmm. if it doesn't change the lives of as many people as I told everyone? That's where my instincts take me. Mm -hmm. Because I go to enough therapy to know, you know, that's, that's me being afraid of not being enough, mm -hmm. of people not loving me, of mm -hmm. people thinking, you know, I failed, right? Mm -hmm. Of me, and, and then why I'm really afraid of that is, you know, they don't like me anymore. They don't support me anymore. I'm all alone, and I and die. The thought process and, goes everywhere, right. right? But you're not aware of those but, thoughts. But isn't it amazing that this book, when you really take a look at it, can tie all the way back to I'm going to be alone and nobody's going to like me. That's that's it's everything. You lose your job. You know, instead of thinking, okay, cool, let's go find a new job. It's you go into this really, really dark hole because the thoughts are very real. You mm -hmm. know, if I don't have a job, how am I going to make money? If I don't have money, how am I going to support my family? If I don't have money to support my family, how are they going to eat? Yep. How are we going to 
you know, pay for the gas, everyone's going to die. Like, it, that's, Your but you're never so conscious nice. of that. It's yeah. just, it's really the fear of suffering. Yeah. And dying, that's like really the magnetic pull of our dark, dark thoughts. So what I'm trying to focus on right now, and it's like a constant reminder to myself every day, and I catch myself every day or every other day just pausing and reminding myself, is that this is, first of all, this is just me talking to myself right now. What happens the next four months, and for anybody you know listening to this, whatever their goal is or their project is, whether it's their startup or they're you know, trying to get a promotion. For me, you know, the next few months of this book launch is the beginning. And no matter what happens, I'm in control of how long I stay committed to this. Mm. So just because you know, the launch is over, me working on this isn't over mm. and no one gives a shit. Mm -hmm. First of all, it's not that important. You know, I spent the past seven years working on this. I'm like one person on this planet of like billions of people. And first of all, this book isn't even my, you know, although it's my entire like heart that I poured into it, I also have a mom and sisters and best friends that are like even more important. To so perspective. Yes. Perspective. And how do you get perspective when you are in the thick of it? Like there's so many moments I think where I think it, your it question, your by mind. the way, is the answer in the thick of it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I literally feel that I'm in the thick of, of the trees mm -hmm. and I have to pull myself back and look at the forest like a helicopter versus just being, I have to. And again, like a muscle, I'm going to just keep reminding myself very gently. Just remember the forest. Mm hmm. Because, mm -hmm. you know, we can get very caught up, mm -hmm. especially with personalities like ours, about, oh, this branch is hitting me in the face. Oh, the... and we're forgetting, like, this is a big, big, big forest. Yeah. And everything's going to be fine. And the forest is fine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, these trees are a little hard to climb through, but the forest is going to be fine. You know, one of the biggest works for me on myself has been not tying any meaning about who I am and what I do. Hmm. And it's taken me losing a business and mm. creating a new one to realize I'm not my business. I'm not what I do. I'm a kind person. I'm a loving person. I'm a right. funny person. So I think that these experiences, a lot of times they kind of push you to your brink to have to take a look at, you know, who you are. So going through all of this, what would mm. you say you're really clear on about who you are because of the experience? Mm. There's a great quote by... Paulo Coelho that I believe is in The Alchemist where he says, um, and I'm paraphrasing here, you don't have to worry about your future if you're confident in your abilities. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm definitely paraphrasing. I don't know the exact wording, but I think what you're getting at is very exactly similar, that. which is if you know who you are and you're confident in who you are, you know, the way things play out are sort of irrelevant because you can just have faith in you. Yes. Yes. I, that's the hard part, you know? In our world, there's so many environmental factors. You know, is the stock market going up? Is housing going down? Is, is your company hiring? Is your company getting budget cuts? Like, sometimes you can be a stellar employee and your boss still fires you and you're like, what's wrong with me? But you have to really check in with yourself. Was I crushing it at that job? If the answer is yes, then 
don't worry about the environmental factors. And now. even if you weren't crushing it at that job, maybe that's not the job for you and you don't have to make meaning. Right. And can you learn? You are. are you a good learner? Can yeah. you grow? Can you push yourself? Can you keep evolving? Absolutely. Right? Um, so who am I? I ask this because, you know, yeah. I, I think that career is such a vehicle for self-expression. We yeah. are really doing it on purpose. And so I'm curious now that you've been I, so in sync. Like, I'm laughing just because I have this visual of me like, you know, dancing in my pajamas with that's my cool. sisters. <laughs> <'Cause>, like, <laughs> that's sort of who I am. Yeah. Um, yeah. The fa my favorite things in life. And I, you know, the going on this journey of this book has helped me, you know, really realize and redefine my definitions of success um, and realize what I love and what, what, you know, like you said, the difference between who I am and what I do. Yes. Um, and, and they definitely overlap in a big way. Mm -hmm. Who am I? You know, the things I love the most are spending time with my sisters, my mom, my best friends. Uh, my happiest places are being in nature with people I love, doing something really exciting. Mm -hmm. So I went on a river rafting trip with my best friends where like 19 of us were in rafts going down the Rogue River Sounds for five days. It was so fun. <laughs> and I went on a, a hiking trip last month with another one of my best friends through the wild coast of South Africa. So like that to me is like life. Yeah. Uh, and at the same time, if I did that 365 days a year, I would be very unfulfilled. The reason I'm able to do those things and be so happy is because the other days of the year, I'm working on something that not only do I enjoy doing, but really I believe that it will help not only uplift people, but really help relieve some of the suffering of people who are going through a similar crisis that I was going through. Mm. When you're setting out on your life's journey, whatever your calling is, you're naturally faced with fear of getting started, the confusion of what steps to take, and anxiety if you're going to be able to take those steps. And the thing that I've realized that's been able to help relieve some of my own suffering as I started going on, on my journey was possibility. Hmm. Because when you hear a story of someone who is just like you, who did exactly what you wanted to do, and they were able to overcome it, it changes what you believe is possible. And when you change what you believe is possible, you change what becomes possible. So to me, possibility is the most powerful force and one of the greatest gifts we can give someone. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm committed to and that's why I'm so fulfilled working on this book for seven years because I know that this isn't just a how-to book. This is really a book about possibility. Incredible. And you know, having spoken to so many different job seekers myself in my work over the past five years, I've always found that people who are low on energy, what they're really mm. finding is that they're just low on purpose or vision. Right. And if you want to give somebody energy, mm. it's not like they're just tired. Usually it's just an indicator that they're swimming in the wrong lane. That's know? so good. It's not a gasoline problem. It's a destination problem. A hundred percent. If you know where you're going and you like the place you're going, it gives you energy. The gasoline's there. Totally. But you can pour all the caffeine and all of the, you know, soul cycle in the world into a car that isn't excited about its destination and it keeps stalling. Yeah. 
<laughs> you did it again. That one was on purpose. That one was amazing. Well, and you know what's interesting? I tell, I've told people this before. I think that we're all just cars driving around mm. and that we can put different types of gas in our car. So a lot of people do choose to put fear in their car and, mm. it, and it works. They're afraid of failure, but that fear of failure gets them to get that PhD or that master's in that career, whether they want it or not. Oh. And it works. So they're conditioned to keep thinking this is the way to keep that fear motivating them. But it sounds like, you know, the people who I've seen achieve the most, including you, it's inspiration that mm. they put in their gas tank. And I guess the question I would just want to ask listeners is where are you putting, why are you putting fear in your gas tank? If that's you, like, what are you afraid of? What are the thoughts that are coming up for you? So, I mean, within your case, what are a few things you action steps that you could give somebody who, you know, you track down so many of the most successful people. You said you were hiding in a bathroom. That's amazing. Totally creepy would do that too. <laughs> um, so, you know, what would be some action steps for somebody who wants to get in front of someone or who wants to be more charismatic authentically? You know, they don't want to be somebody else, but they want to stand out. Uh, how can you suggest that just your everyday working professional can stand out? So how can people stand out? Um, I'll tell you what I do when I'm nervous before like a, anything public, whether it's meeting someone, going into an interview, Doing an interview, whenever I'm nervous in a social interaction, what I find myself doing is I will talk to myself. And the way I do that is if I talk to myself in my head, somehow the voice becomes very uh, anxious and unruly. But if I open a journal, and I talk to myself on the journal, somehow the voice is very nice and gentle and compassionate. Mm. And what I'll do is I'll just acknowledge what I'm feeling. You know, one of the greatest things I've ever read was in this book called When Things Fall Apart, which mm -hmm. is one of my favorite books of all time. David Hawkins. Pema Chodron. Pema Chodron. When Things Fall Apart. Great. Um, I'm sure that other oh, one David is Oh, David Hawkins too. is letting go. Different type of things falling mm -hmm. apart. Go <laughs> ahead. So early in this book, there's a line where Pema Chodron, who's a Buddhist monk, she asks one of her mentors, she says, how do you relate with fear? Mm -hmm. And the mentor goes, I agree with it. I agree with my fear. So what I'll do when I'm scared or nervous or fearful before, you know, conducting an interview, I'll open my journal and I'll say, I'm afraid about this interview I'm afraid because of this I'm okay with being afraid mm -hmm. I agree with it at the same time I want to remember why I'm doing what I'm doing great and then I I remind myself and I almost you know zoom out to the forest so I can really remember that it's not about this next one hour conversation or job interview or whatnot it's about my commitment to whatever my purpose is. Amazing. And internally, so that's, you know, which is so important, how you relate to yourself. And then is there something externally that somebody can do or something somebody can say hmm. to just grab attention in a world where there's so much noise, there's so many candidates, there's so many applicants, we all want the same shiny things. How do you, what do you think you've been doing to really 
visibly stand out? Is there questions you ask or an energy you come from? What do you think it is about you? There's a great piece of advice I got from Larry King when I interviewed him for the book. Not a bad person for advice. Right. And he said, you know, the secret is, he's like, you want to know the secret? Ashley, do you want to know the secret? Yeah, I want to know the secret. The secret is, there is no secret. Hey. There's no trick to being yourself. And when he told me that, I was like, that's fucked, man. Yeah. Like, I mean, the secret. There's definitely a secret. But, you know, as I've, you know, done more and more interviews, I realize he's right. And he, but he is leaving out in a very important part. Mm-hmm. There is a trick to getting to know yourself. Yeah. So it's easy for Larry, you know, at age 80 something to say, you know, the trick is, there is no trick. Just be yourself. Yeah. When you're 20 and you still don't really know who yourself is, that's where things get a little dicey. A hundred percent. And another person who I interviewed that changed my life in a tremendous way was Quincy Jones. Mm. And he said the number one thing that he teaches, and you know, Quincy Jones has more Grammy nominations than any producer in history, has revolutionized the entertainment world. He said the number one piece of advice he gives young artists he mentors is know yourself and love yourself. Beautiful. That's it. Beautiful. And I mean, I know it's, it's hard to figure out who you are. I, that's what I'm writing my book about is how to get back to you. Cause so many people see people like you, people like me, so many people I know being them and it, and people are drawn to that because they want to learn how to do the same. So what would you suggest for someone who's trying to hear themselves, trying to be themselves outside of, you know, their thoughts? Like, is there something they could go out and do, um, to connect or what do you suggest? So first of all, very kind of you to say that I'm one of those people because I wasn't one of those people. Mm. And yeah, what was that bridge? So there's people that, and it's rare that are just born naturally and authentically themselves. Confidence out of the womb. They they don't even have confidence because they don't have anxiety. So they're just in a place of natural, you know, bliss. Yeah. One of my best friends, Kevin, he is just you know, has always been that guy. He's like, Hey, how are you? Like, yeah. you know, just suit, like no insecurities. We always joke, like, wonder when we're going to find out about Kevin's insecurity one day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like we just can't find it. Where's Kevin's insecurity? Um, I wasn't one of those kids. I was, I grew up with, you know, tremendous, tremendous insecurities that, you know, I still am working on. Mm-hmm. I grew up, you know, very much bullied, very much feeling alone and isolated and left out very much invisible. So to me, you know, how do you, how do you deal with that? First of all, it's not easy. So anyone out there who's also struggling with that stuff, which I've struggled with and I still, I still work on. Mm -hmm. It's not easy. What I've learned is that it takes little steps. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's a theme we keep coming back to. It takes little steps. Something that I did when I was in college, when I was trying to find out who I am and what my interests are and what feels right for me is I did a very simple exercise with myself. Mm. And I don't know where I came up with this. I might've heard it from someone. I might've come up with it myself. I have no idea. And this is very simply in 30 seconds away, you can radically change the quality of your life. Mm. Ready? So you take out a sheet of paper and you make a line across the top and a line down the middle. And on the left top, draw a sunshine. Mm-hmm. And on the right part, draw a cloud. Mm-hmm. Right? So now you have two columns, sunshine, cloud. Mm-hmm. 
And this is what you're going to do in 30 seconds or to 30 to 60 seconds, you're going to change your life by doing the following. Write all the things that come to mind in your life right now that are sunshine things that make you feel like you're, you know, standing on a perfectly shiny day, mm -hmm. sunshiny day. On the clouds part, you put all the things that when you're doing them or people you're talking with or thoughts or anything that makes you feel like a cloud is following you wherever you go. By the end of 60 seconds, you have the clearest vision of your quality of life. And all you have to do, I'm not saying some people are like, delete all your toxic friends. Okay, yes, in theory, that's good. A much easier approach is just look at the sunshine things and ask yourself, which three things on this list, because there'll be a long list, can I amplify? Yes. You know, have more of. And look at the three things on the cloud list and say, which three things can I slowly let go of? Beautiful. And you will see a massive difference in your life in 60 seconds. Yeah, incredible. And you know what? I think a lot of human conditioning, when you said that, just what came up for me was a lot of human conditioning thinks that if we're not happy or we're not having fun or something's wrong, that we need to add something and we need to get more in our life. We need to go fix it or do something. But a lot of the times, the answer is really just in elimination. It's in right. simplifying. We live in a complicated world. It's hard to be simple. And so I love what you're saying is releasing the clouds. Um, and turning up the volume yeah, on the things that make you happy. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I think a lot of people say is, you know, how can I be happier? And it's like, well, or, or, or I'll be happy when I get this house or have this job. But it's like, okay, well, if you want to feel happy out there, instead of chasing this ever elusive carrot, how can you make that feeling happen for you right now? And on your sunshine list, I'm sure that there's tons of things you could do to bring out that feeling that you want to feel and what you create, you can create more of, you know, it's momentum. And so right. I think that's amazing. Um, and just one of the questions that's been kind of gnawing at me throughout this is what's next for you? Like, what do you, what's your vision? What are you excited about? To me, if we had to go back seven years to when this mission started, mm -hmm. it started with a really simple belief. Mm -hmm. That I believe that if the world's most successful people came together for one purpose, not for press, not to promote anything, but really just to share their best generate their best wisdom with the next generation, mm -hmm. young people can do so much more. Mm. And that's been the center and really the ethos of this mission the past seven years. So now that the book is coming out, congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> now that it's coming out, the question of what's next to me is actually really simple. It's continuing the mission. So how do I, you know, share the, the idea of the third door mm -hmm. with as many people as possible? How do I keep the idea and the ethos of the third door growing? Mm -hmm. And you know, the, Third door analogy is very simple, right? After talking to all these people over the past seven years, I've realized life, business, success, it's just like a nightclub, mm -hmm. right? There's always three ways in. There's the first door where 99% of people wait in line hoping to get in, right? The line curves around the block. And then there's the second door, the VIP entrance where the billionaires and the celebrities slip through. And somehow school and society have this feeling like those are the only two ways in. But what I've learned after doing all these interviews is that there's always, always a third door, a third door where you jump out of line, run down the alley, bang on the door a hundred times, crack open the window, go through the kitchen. There's always a way in. Beautiful. And whether that's how, you know, Bill Gates sold his first piece of software 
or how Lady Gaga got her first record deal, they all took the third door. So that's not only you know the title of the book, that's the thesis of the book, and that's the energy that I'm trying to inject into the next generation. Incredible. And if you could give someone just one word of advice right now who's listening to you and feeling like inspired by what you're up to and they want to be more of themselves, what would you say? Hmm. One word. I'll share the one word that I gifted myself this year. So every year on my birthday, I like to reflect about the past year and look forward to the next year and give myself a gift. Mm -hmm. And this year, I gifted myself the idea of matri. Mm -hmm. And matri is a word in, I believe, Tibetan. I believe so. I may be getting that wrong. Mm -hmm where it's spelled M-A-T-R-I, mm -hmm. Matri. And the word is about loving kindness towards yourself. Great. Loving kindness towards yourself. Matri is about unconditional friendship with yourself. Mm -hmm. Treating yourself the way your best friend would treat you. Mm -hmm. And so many of us, myself included, Treat ourselves in a way that even our enemies wouldn't treat us, right? You're tired, you're exhausted, you just spent, you know, 15 hours at work. And instead of going home and sleep, you're like, really? Really? One more hour. You know, if my friend was tired and exhausted, I would grab his hand, put him in an Uber, send him home, order him some Postmates, you know, make sure he's taking care of himself. But I find myself so many times not treating myself the way I would treat my best friend. Mm -hmm. So that's where the idea of Madri comes from. Loving kindness with oneself. You know, I was reading a book the other day and it talked about love being encouragement. Mm. And everybody's trying to figure out what love means for them. Right. But I think that what I'm hearing from you is you surround yourself with people who encourage you as far as your friendships go. Mm. Yeah. Unless you've chosen a lot of I have encouraging the best, people. best, best, best yeah. friends. And it sounds like you're encouraging yourself. And that's just such a wonderful way of loving yourself. Mm. Uh, favorite book? What should everybody read? Ooh, I've Other than The Third Door. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I, of course, love when things fall apart. Okay. But I'll do a pitch for the, you know, 10% of people who haven't read this book. Mm -hmm. When I was a kid, when I was, you know, I was about five or six years old when Harry Potter came out. And I read, you know, the first chapter when I was a kid. And I was like, this is stupid. And I put it inside and I never read it. About three years ago, when... Things in my life were getting really hard emotionally. My dad got diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. My family was going through just a lot of trauma together. I, for some reason, just saw Harry Potter sitting and I just like, as a distraction, picked it up. And it changed my life. And the reason it changed my life is when you're a kid, you think it's a book about wizards and magic. That's what it is about on the surface. What Harry Potter is really about is Courage, friendship, love, family, and death. In, in my opinion, it's the greatest literary work on those topics. Mm. And the reason, first of all, it's so good is because you're having so much fun reading it because of all these fun adventures. You don't even notice that you're learning about love and friendship and family and death and courage. Mm. And to me, those are some of the most important, if not the most important, virtues. And 
I have so much love and appreciation for J.K. Rowling for being so smart by not writing a self-help book called How to Be Loving and Compassionate and blah, 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 blah. She wrote a book about magicians and wizards and witches and warlocks and, you know, flying snitches. You know, she wrote the most fun book, mm -hmm. but that wasn't what she was writing about. Amazing. She and, was writing about love. And final question, uh, what, what have I not asked you that would be great for me to ask you? Huh. So what question haven't you asked me? Hmm. <laughs> well, knowing you, you would probably want to know the most embarrassing moments yes. of, of, the, of the book. <laughs> um, what were the most, I'm like channeling you, what were the most embarrassing moments? Yeah, where did you make an absolute <laughs> fool of yourself? Oh my God, there's, there's a lot. Um, oh, there's so many bad ones. <laughs> With, I'll give you like surface level stuff without getting into too much detail. Um, one of the chapters in the book is about me. It's towards the end of the book when things are, you know, really picking up. I finally get introduced to Mark Zuckerberg over email from the president of Microsoft. I'm like, what is happening? This is crazy. <laughs> what is life? Stellar uh, you know, I'm like 20 years old. I'm freaking out. And, you know, I like call my mentor where we're, we like craft the perfect email response. We email it. And what ends up happening is, you know, Mark was going to be uh, speaking at a conference in Palo Alto, which I was going to be at next week. So the email response was going to be like, Mark, great to meet you. Like, I've heard great things about you. Um, <laughs> that's not ridiculous. Um, I know you'll be speaking at this event. Would love to, you know, maybe come backstage and talk about the book. Either way, I'm... So grateful for you for being such an inspiration, mm -hmm. Alex. Like very simple, like three sentences, four sentences. So I send the email, and now it's like days are passing. There's no response. Understandable. He's very busy. Now it's like two days before the conference. You've been ghosted by Zuckerberg. Right? But, but as expected. Fairly. As expected. I mean, he's something. Yeah. Right. Now it's two days before the conference. I'm like, all right, let me just like ping him once, see if it helps. So I asked the uh, president of Microsoft if, you know, I could, if I had permission to ping Zuck. And he's like, uh, what are you talking about? He responded to you like four days ago. I'm like, what? I go to my spam folder. No. Viagra, 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 Mark Zuckerberg. Oh, Viagra. <laughs> and that is the least embarrassing part of this story. Oh my So God. the whole book is filled with like these just wild, like larger than life stories, which at the time were extremely painful because I had to live through them. Yeah. But in hindsight, they're very funny from hacking Warren Buffett shareholders meeting to like chasing Larry King through a grocery store, spending a week with Lady Gaga in Texas. So it's really fun and I can't wait to share it with you. Thank you so much for having me, and I can't wait to share the third door with everybody. You're amazing. Yeah. Oh, wait. What? Oh, we killed it. Oh, <laughs> hey there, this is Ashley. Just to follow up with you about confidence, and I think that there's probably quite a few of you who maybe feel differently or have different opinions about confidence, but 
regardless of that, it's just something that I'm really excited to open the door on and just have a conversation about. Because at the end of the day, I think it all starts and ends with your confidence as far as it comes to the results that you can create in your life. And one of the most powerful concepts that I've been introduced to in personal development is this this term called nest energy. And what I mean by nest energy is really asking yourself, what was the energy of the nest that you came from, the home that you came from? What was the energy of your dad? What was the energy of your mom? Or if you didn't grow up with your mom and dad, whoever it was that was in the house, what was that energy in your nest? And I found that throughout our lives, Even if maybe there was some sort of energy in our homes that didn't work for us, we gravitate towards it um, because it's a comfort zone for us, right? And in a lot of ways, that creates our confidence, it creates our pain, it creates our relationship or, you know, with ourselves. And, you know, I can even say it, it just inspires our relationship with ourselves. And, you know, for example, when I think about how I grew up in my household, um, I was really praised by my dad for um, how quick I was, um, how sharp I was. I remember even being a young girl and I would say something really sassy and my dad loved it and he would celebrate me for it. He'd be like, Ashley, she's such, she's quick as a tack, you know, or she's sharp as a tack. And, you know, I, in my nest energy, Um, you know, I grew up being celebrated for that and that was how I learned to receive love. And then my mom, on the other hand, my dad was kind of, you know, very active guy. My mom was very neutral. She was very calm. And, um, I'm a lot more like my dad, (laughs) as you can probably hear, uh, you might think I'm neutral and calm, right? But I have a a whole very active, um, flirtatious, excited, uh, side to me that I'm kind of a goofball that I think a lot of people don't always see, but the idea is that my nest energy was one where my dad was a bit anxious about work and he celebrated me for being quick. And so a lot of my confidence came from my nest. A lot of my confidence came from being celebrated for being quick. So I just want to take a second first and foremost to ask you, where did your confidence come from when you were growing up? What what was it like for you? What was the conversation in your house like? What, what, what were you celebrated for, even more importantly? Where did you feel a sense of you're doing things right, you're on the right track? What was it that people would say, acknowledge, or show you that made you feel good? And how is that playing out in your life now? Do you, you know, for me, I know that words are huge for me. That was how my dad celebrated me. So as an adult, if somebody says, even a friend says, you're such a good friend, I love you so much, that is how I receive love. That is what builds my confidence. And it wasn't until later in my life that I really grew enough space from my nest to really look at it and say, well, does this work for me? Do I want to continue to buy into this idea that I am valuable or that I am amazing because of my accomplishments, because I'm quick, because I'm sharp, like my dad used to tell me I was? And he did nothing wrong, right? There's no blame. There's no shame. He was a great dad. But what I got out of it was a conditioning to be celebrated um, for being quick and being sharp and as that being where my confidence comes from. And so the first step I just want to recommend to you is really to ask yourself, what was your nest energy like and how are you gravitating towards it? And the nest energy is kind of why a lot of people end up gravitating towards things that are negative and they can't seem to get away from it. For example, uh, maybe you have a friend who had a boyfriend who abused her. Um, or, or a father that abused her. And for some reason, she keeps having boyfriends that abuse her. It's because of her nest energy. That is comfortable. It might not be the best thing for her, but it's the comfortable thing for her. Um, 
you know, or, or I think also when it comes to confidence, there's some unhealthy addictions because maybe our nest energy or our relationship with ourselves is such that our comfort zone is being hard on ourselves. And if you really look at it, there's always a benefit of it, right? Like there's always a payoff. So if you're hard on yourself, the payoff is probably that you get a lot done. So your relationship with yourself is you're hard on yourself, you beat yourself up, and you associate that with getting a lot done. And the question I have to ask you is, is there a way for you to be kinder to yourself and still get things done? Maybe the beliefs that you're buying into, the nest energy, the patterns, the comfort zones you're buying into has gotten you far in the world, but maybe there's a more authentic unshakable knowing and confidence and relationship with yourself that you can build to create results in the world. And that is what this audio is really about in exploring. And, you know, it's funny. I was recently with a friend and um, she's dating a new guy. And, you know, as one would, she found out who his ex-girlfriend was. And she's, you know, totally went on a binge on social media stalking this girl. And I was like talking to her and I said, You know, I totally get it. That's the most human thing ever to be curious if you're in love with somebody new to figure out, you know, what their past was. But I asked her, I said, how does it make you feel when you look at this girl on social media? Like, how do you feel about yourself? And she went on about how bad it makes her feel about herself. She looks at this girl and, you know, wonders if she's better than her and all this dark stuff and all of this confidence stuff. And I said, well, then why do you keep looking at her profile? Why do you keep looking at her if she doesn't make you feel good? And the thought that I had was, it's almost like that is her comfort zone, that she is used to making herself feel bad and that there's some sort of belief system that by feeling bad, I'll be better or by feeling bad, I'll be, I'll be more aware and I'll make myself better. Uh, and it's it's like this negative addiction that a lot of us have is making ourselves feel bad to create a result in the world. So um, the first thing I want to ask you is, you know, what is your nest energy? What did you grow up with? What was comfortable for you? Number two, how did you receive praise? How were you celebrated? Where did your confidence come from on the outside? Was it by words people would tell you, things you would do? Where did it come from? And number three, have you built any comfortable addictions, um, even if they're not good for you? Whether it's, you know, control over food because it makes you feel a sense, whatever it is, is there a comfortable addiction that you have that isn't good for you, but you can't stop doing it? And the final thing I want to talk about is where confidence comes from. And I'm a firm believer that confidence comes from commitments you make to yourself. It's an inner, unshakable relationship with yourself. So if you tell yourself you want to start going to the gym three times a week and the first week out of the gate you don't go, you're actually hurting your self-esteem with yourself because you're not com- keeping commitments with yourself. It's a way of of undervaluing yourself. Um, and so an exercise I want to give you at the you know right now is to really think to yourself, what are two commitments I want to make to myself that I'm willing to keep? Or even just one commitment. And try it on for 10 days. Try it on as an experiment. What does it feel like when you keep a commitment to yourself? Um, Because that is one of the most profound ways to build your confidence is to have an inner commitment and to honor it in your outer reality. Um, So look, this confidence stuff isn't easy. It's been a journey for me. It's something that I continue you know, to realize, you know, like I wrote about in my email to you about confidence, I used to think that if someone was confident, like there's a couple of friends I have where I'm like, you just came out of the womb confident. And to be honest, some people think that about me, which is so funny because 
Yes, I'm totally confident in some areas of my life, but the conclusion that I've come to is that nobody in the world is simply confident in all areas. Confidence is a mindset, it's an inner relationship with yourself, but take anyone, they might be confident in business, in personal relationships, in sexual relationships, wherever that confidence is, but it might not exist in other areas. And so the question I wanna ask you is not, are you confident? It's where do you have room to grow in your confidence and where is how can you make a certain commitment to yourself in that area and honor it so that you can really nurture yourself and break out of that nest energy and more into intention and really creating confidence from a place of inspiration so um, with that said I have to admit this is this is a journey for me too I would love for you to tweet at me or Instagram me at Ashley Stahl A-S-H-L-E-Y-S-T-A-H-L I would love to just communicate with you and hear, like, what are you doing to build your confidence? What are you doing to feel better about yourself? What goals have you set that have really inspired you? And, um, you know, perhaps there's something that you could share that I can share with the community or post just to get other people inspired. So with that said, um, I'm sending you a lot of love and appreciation. Thanks so much for listening to me again. This is Ashley Stahl sending you a really big hug on this random day. Thanks again for tuning into this week's episode of the U-Turn Podcast. You can find all of the resources that our guest mentioned on our show notes at U-TurnPodcast.com. That's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N Podcast.com. Also, don't forget, on the website, we've got our four free e-courses, whether you want to land a new job you love, get clarity on the best career path for you, launch your dream business, or deepen your romantic relationships. I'll talk to you soon. Can't wait to connect on next week's episode.